0: pray. Lord God, we come to you tonight from busy days, long days, short days, from from family stuff, from uh, fear of going to work tomorrow, to whatever it might be, Lord, you you gather us that we might get our heads and hearts in the right place, and we just pray, Lord, that you, you help us by your Holy Spirit to do just that. Lord God, we give to you our hearts and minds. Pray that uh, as we open up your word, you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. You ready? I know everybody loves it when I do this. I'm going to give you something to do, okay? Find somebody in this room. Go ahead. Look around. Look around. Look around. If you can't think of where to look, try two, two pews up and one pew over or look behind you. Challenge yourself. Find somebody you don't know that well. Okay, you got somebody? Okay, you ready? Who are they to you? Who are they to you? Do you love them? And do you value them? Who are they to you? Do you love them? Do you value them? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians. Chapter 4. I'm going to read three verses. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, My joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat, Euodia, and I entreat, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. As I read through and I considered this passage for tonight, there's kind of two ideas here. One is, is, the first one is, stand firm thus in the Lord, right? He says, I... Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. But it wasn't so much the command to to stand firm thus in the Lord that grabbed my attention. This imperative, it is significant. It's important we don't want to miss it. It refers back to everything that we talked about last week. Stand firm thus. Keeping our eyes on those who walk the walk who talk the talk and have a life that lines up with it, right? Be imitators of them. While being deeply dependent upon Christ. With the understanding that our citizenship is not just of this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven as we work out our faith. Those are some good words that Paul used earlier in the book, chapter 2, verse 12. Paul told us to do this, to to work out our faith. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We should be those who bear the evidence of, of our destiny, who bear the evidence of our our destiny to heaven in our lives, in who we are, how we act, how we talk. The imperative there, stand firm, didn't grab me this time. Nor did Paul's appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. And that appeal that he gives there, verse 2, I entreat Euodia... And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. This appeal is important. It reflects back on everything that Paul had said to us in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He said to them, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It wasn't the imperative that caught my attention, and it wasn't this entreating that caught my attention so much. What caught my attention as I went through these verses this week the most was the language that Paul uses that that seems to just envelop those two ideas. Did you see it as we read through it? He starts out by saying, therefore, my brothers. He calls them my brothers and sisters. That would be a fine translation there. My brothers and sisters, whom I love, Whom I long for. He calls them my joy and my crown. And then he says it again, my beloved. He just wraps that statement of stand firm in this love language, doesn't he? As he goes on, he says that they are those who work side by side with him. Together, fellow workers whose names are written. In the book of life. All these things, all this language seems to be the motivator for the other two statements. They are the reason that we stand firm. They are the reason that we come to a unity of purpose and mind. They are the reason that we gather together as a family in Christ. Paul says to them, stand firm in Christ together as a beloved family in Christ. Confronting issues of disunity out of love for one another. Because we are in this together. And we aren't just in this together. Guess how long we're in it for? Forever. So, that person you Looked at her or thought of earlier. Who is that person to you? Paul calls them brothers and sisters. I I know the ESV uses just the word brothers, but brothers and sisters is a totally appropriate translation. Even the ESV guys put a little note at the bottom of the page there to say that. Did you know that we're a family? we a family. That person you looked at or thought of is your brother or your sister. That person you looked at or thought of is different from you, aren't they? They have a different background. They have different schooling, different work, different interests, different hobbies, don't they? They, they might be a little odd to you, but you're probably a little odd to them too. That's what a family is like, isn't it? Everyone in a family might be a little different, might rub one another the wrong way on occasion, but that doesn't stop them from being a family, does it? You're a family because you're knit together by blood, right? Blood's thicker than water, right? Doesn't matter what your brother did, kiss and make up. Here in the church, guess what? We're knit together by blood. As we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, the blood of Jesus Christ is more precious than perishable things like silver or gold. It is imperishable according to Peter. It is eternal. And and think about it. The blood of our earthly family, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, guess what? It's finite. It's perishable. It'll disappear. That blood doesn't last. But the blood of Jesus Christ knows no end. It, it is the blood of God in the flesh. In Christ we share a stronger bond than anything on this earth can possibly provide. That passage from First Peter that I was talking about says you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Not in anything of this earth. And it's through this imperishable blood of Christ that we are adopted into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Adoption. Adoption to himself. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus Christ spent his blood that we could be adopted by his Father. He he didn't spend his blood for us so that we could gather together as strangers in a building to listen to some guy preach and, and sing a few good songs. He drew us together as a family, a body, his bride. men who are married, how precious is your bride? That's how precious this group right here is to Jesus Christ, is to our God our Father. At the cross where His blood was shed, we were more precious to Him than His own life. Paul goes on. They, they aren't just brothers and sisters. They are those whom He longs for. He loves His beloved. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. He just repeats that again. He, he reinforces this language of love. When, when we are born into a family, anybody here been born into a family? We don't choose our parents, do we? We don't choose our siblings. We don't have a say in what they will be like, do we? We may not even like them very much, right? Anybody have that experience? Don't have to raise your hand. You may be related by blood when you're born into a family, but you have a choice to make from there. Do you love them? There's a difference between being brothers and sisters and loving those brothers and sisters. That person who you looked at or thought of earlier, Do you love them? Do you love them to the point of longing for them? You miss the days that you're not together or that you are together. I don't know how that came out just then. Do you yearn for that time that you will be together? Are we eager to know just how we can be there for them, provide for them, protect them, pray for them? Is it not just something we do because we have to or where we feel obligated, but it's something we do because we just love them? They're on our hearts. They're on our minds. Love them? I don't really know them, frankly, to tell the truth, right? How am I supposed to love them? Well, let's, let's begin with the fact that we have first been loved by God in Christ Jesus, Right? And as we are loved, we are expected to love. As we are forgiven, we are expected to forgive. And if that isn't enough, let's go ahead and look at what Paul has to say here. Paul gives us some hints in this letter to the Philippians just as to why he felt this way about them. If you look back at chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all, all, making my prayer with joy because, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice he doesn't say because you sang real good. He doesn't say, because you were nice and quiet while I was preaching. You never turned around and bothered to look at the person behind you. That is awesome. I'm glad you're focused right here. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he goes on in chapter 1 to say more, doesn't he? He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. They are his partners. They worked with him. They continue to work with him. Here again, in in the very verses that we've read, he speaks of just how they have labored side by side with him in the gospel. How they are his fellow workers, along with Clement and, and the rest of the fellow workers. Together, he uses that word. Paul loves them. Because they have a shared love for Jesus. They are partakers in grace, as he said in chapter 1. He loves them because they share in laboring together for the gospel. He he loves them because they share in each other's trials and hardships as he asks the true companion to, to help these women share in this, bear the burden with them. He loves them because he knows they will. Why do we gather together? Is it to hear some guy preach and to sing a few songs together? To do our religious duty to God and country? Are we just siblings, brothers and sisters, by force? I can't believe God chose that one, right? Or do we love each other? Are we sharing our lives in Jesus together? If we want to love each other and and to grow in our love for each other, we may need to start to consider how and why we are gathering together. For what purposes? And I, I don't want to bad mouth what we do on a Sunday morning or even on a Sunday night. This is good. But is this all it is? It's real easy to, to, to come in and, and just sit forward, sing some good songs, hear some preaching. By the grace of God, it'll be from God's word, and then leave and feel like we've done the Christian thing. Are we working together for the sake of Christ and the gospel kingdom? Are we finding ways to enjoin ourselves one to another to do the gospel work? Because that's why Paul loved them so affectionately, so deeply, because their relationship went far beyond hearing good teaching and singing some good songs. Are we including one another in this work Or or do we excuse each other away? Are we finding ways to share with one another in sharing Christ to the point that we can't see doing this without one another? If we're going to be a church family, if we're going to call ourselves a family, it's got to go way beyond Sundays. if we're going to follow the, the words of God and have this kind of an affection one for another. The more time we spend together, the more gospel we do together. Have you ever gone to camp? Right? You go to camp and, or, or you go on a trip and it might be with some people you don't know that well, right? Right? you got to be introduced to them or introduce yourself to them. And and you go to camp, and it's a week, and then you get back. And on the bus ride home, what did you do? With those people you, you didn't know a week ago, all of a sudden, you're laughing and talking about stories. And, oh, did you hear what that counselor said and all that kind of stuff? And you're laughing and making jokes. And this is a person you didn't know a week before, right? And now, because of your shared experiences, because of the time you spent together, because you did this together, you're best of friends. Is anybody still in contact with somebody that they knew from a camp or or some time you spent together back in high school, back in junior high, something like that? Your shared experiences draw you closer. Are we making Christian experience happen here with one another? Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Somebody else isn't going to do it for you. It's good to gather around God's word, and it's good to open it up and to learn from it. And it is good to sing songs of praise together and glorify God in that way. What we do on a Sunday morning, what we come to do on a Sunday night, these are good things. And we are called to do these things, to do these activities by God. We need to keep doing them. We need to not forsake the gathering together here on Sundays. But as the church, as the family of God, brothers and sisters, loving one another, do we value each other? We value our happiness, don't we? We, we invest. We will spend exorbitant amounts of money ...to secure our happiness and comfort in this life, won't we? We, we pile it into 401ks and we get into IRAs and, and all other kinds of three-letter whatevers. And how upset do we get when the bubble bursts in the economy and our retirement disappears, right? Right? There are people in this world who have gotten so depressed over this that they commit suicide. They think it's the end of life. That's how much their joy has been invested in, in their happiness. They get so depressed they can't take it. Their joy has been stolen. We value our happiness, we value our stuff, don't we? Our house gets broken into, the jewelry is taken, the TV is stolen. We just don't know what to do with ourselves without the TV. Our car gets backed into. How angry do you get? How dare they back into my car, leave a dent like that. It's going to cost me how much? And they don't even bother to leave a note. Curse them. We value our joy, don't we? We value our crowns. Do we feel the same way when a member of our family in Christ gets stolen or backed into? Are our brothers and sisters in Christ our joy and our crown? Are they our beloved whom we love and long for? Our, our co-laborers for the gospel. If they were gone, if that person you thought of earlier was gone, would it affect your time at church? Would it affect your life outside of this building? Because that's still church, by the way. We are the church, not this building. Or perhaps we are the ones who are backing our truck over our church family. Instead of investing in them and, and serving with them, do we hurt one another? Or are we spending a kind of quality time with them that, that makes them more and more Valuable to us as we grow to know them in Christ Jesus? Maybe you don't know them right now. But is there some way you can reach out, shake their hand, know their name, get to know who they are, make them valuable? Strangers on the street are not inherently valuable to us, are they? Because as you, as you look at that person or think about them, let's remember that we are in this with them for the long haul. We're, we're in this with them, like we said earlier, for eternity. It's not a short trip, is it? In Christ, their name is written in the book of life. Times as we look around at each other, we think, well, that must not be the same book of life that my name's written in. I'm, gonna have, I'm not going to spend eternity in the same place as they will. Yeah. So long as you have both accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's the same book of life, and it's the same place, glorifying God together forever. The church at Philippi was not perfect, was it? If we look carefully at this book, we'll see that Paul has to encourage them in several different things. We we can see their imperfection as Paul feels the need to call out Euodia and Syntyche. But they were all brothers and sisters to Paul. In spite of their flaws, they were his family. Paul loved them having grown close to them by sharing life and labor in the gospel kingdom with them side by side. Paul valued them as his joy and crown, having invested time and energy into them. And it's all good and fine for me to get up here and preach these things, isn't it? But, but are we churching rightly? Are we doing this church thing the right way? Is coming in, sitting down, facing forward, hearing preaching, singing songs, going home, is that churching rightly? Is that church? What what can I change about how I church that that will cause me to grow in my love and value of my church family? Again, not waiting for, for somebody else to do it for me. But how can I take that step out and begin to love on my church family here? How can I make church more personal? Just as God himself, the God we worship, is very personal, isn't he? Here's a quote from a book called Caring for One Another. God comes close to his people. When he comes close, he speaks to us and invites us to respond. And when we respond to him, he hears. This means that he listens and, in actu- listens and in actually, is actually influenced by what we say. We could think of it as being invited into his home where he speaks openly and with love. And he offers the best of divine hospitality. All that is almost too much to take in, but then he invites us to speak of what is important to us, and as we speak, he is engaged, undistracted, and responsive. We could call it fellowship, even communion. And so we are also called as Christians to reflect that communion one with another, to love each other, because that's how people will know that we are his disciples, right? we will be known by our love. Sharing burdens, sharing life, loving one another, valuing one another, seeing each other as Christ sees us, a family, a body, His bride. We've got five more minutes, and I want to invite you to do something with me. I want you to pray with me, and not just listen to me pray. I want us to pray corporately. If you want to pray, stand up and pray out loud. I'm going to give us three different things, and maybe we'll go a little past 730, but that's okay. First object of prayer will be praise and thankfulness. Keep it just a praise and thankfulness to God for who he is and what he has done. After you guys have prayed for a little while, I will close out that section and bring on the next one. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for how you have revealed to us all these wonderful things through your word given to us. We thank you for your spirit that indwells us and opens our eyes to the truth of who you are. Father God, we praise You. You are a God of righteousness and justice and holiness and purity. And You are the God of love and grace and mercy. And You have this perfect balance, never compromising. We praise You for You never slumber and You never sleep. And You are worthy of all the praise, all the thankfulness, all the outpouring that we can give you, if we could give it to you for eternity, it won't be enough. Lord, we praise you that we get to give it to you for eternity in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this family that you've drawn us into. We thank you, Lord, that there will be a day when we stand face-to-face, face and we are—we know as we are known, and we stand there side-by-side side with those in this room who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And all the flaws are gone. And we worship. We praise you, Lord, tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you thought that one was hard to do, the next area is confession. There are many times in Scripture when Israel confesses before God. They humble themselves and they pray, and God answers. I'll go ahead and let some pray, and then I'll close that out again. I. I, and just remember, during, during this time of confession, He is God, and we are not. Let's pray. Father God, forgive me. lack of discernment that that there's there's things we discern things I discern and I I know right from wrong and I still choose the wrong. Father God, forgive me impatience. That is certainly not a fruit of your spirit. Lord, how powerful Often, I must grieve your spirit. Father God, forgive us for not loving as we should love, as we have been loved, or forgiving as we have been forgiven. Lord, we we close this prayer time by just asking you to help us in these things, in these areas that we wouldn't just keep walking the way we've been walking, but, Lord, we would become more like Christ, a beacon and a light for your community, for your gospel kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You want one more? Requests. Anything, anyone in particular, somebody in your family who needs Christ, whatever your heartfelt requests are, lay them out before God. You can always praise them at the same time. Let's do one more. Father God, I I praise you for what Joe just prayed, and I pray that uh, the, the children that we have that are walking with you, that they wouldn't be led to the left or to the right they'd stay right with you. And Father, we pray that you would give us eyes. Give us eyes to see one another. And give us eyes to see the, the person who comes through these doors who has never been here before. Give us hearts to reach out to them and love them and, and honor them as, as they've come through our doors and to, to cherish them that these doors wouldn't just be our doors. Help us not to lay claim to them as if they were our own, but, Lord, to give them to you. They are your doors, and these are your people that you are bringing through them. And help us to just really love your people that you call to come here and hear your word and worship. Father God, we praise you for tonight. We praise you for your word given to us. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to pray together as a family, as a church family. Lord, I pray that more and more you would stir our hearts to open up and pray. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.